Hey everybody, welcome to the Steadfast Podcast. This week we're going to do things a little differently. We usually have a new section at the beginning of our podcast called Some Things to Keep Your Eye On. Um, today we're just going to basically hop right into the Bible where we left off. I do want to mention a couple things. Obviously we got the election coming up, uh, so be praying about the election, that God's will would be done there, and then hopefully it, it would be God's will that he would bless us. Bless this nation. Uh, you got the Supreme Court nomination coming up. I believe they are going to be approving Amy Comey Barrett uh, early this week, uh, which is exciting um, as she is an originalist. Uh, therefore, she uh, interprets the Constitution as it was intended to be um, interpreted. And hopefully, at some point soon down the line, it will overturn the murdering of babies, which we call abortion. Um, also, this week, uh, it, there was more news that you probably didn't see it, um, but we've been talking about the peace treaties here with Israel. You had the United uh, Arab Emirates. You've had uh, Bahrain. Um, now, uh, apparently, Sudan. Um, you might not have heard this, but and there continues to be things that, that are just happening over in Israel, and that's what we got to keep our eye on, okay? As believers, keep our eye on what's happening in Israel, uh, what's happening at the Temple Mount. What's happening around the world as far as uh, last day scenario with nations lining up like the Ezekiel 38 battle. Um, those of you that were at church this morning at the Steadfast Church, we talked about this some, that the nations are lining up. That uh, the nations that are going to come against Israel in the last days, being Russia, uh, Turkey, uh, being uh, Iran, which is Persia in the Bible, they're all against Israel right now. Okay, they want them just uh, destroyed, and that's how the Bible predicts it. And nations that aren't going to be against them are now we're seeing all these peace treaties with these Gulf states like Bahrain, like the United Arab Emirates. Uh, I believe you'll see Saudi Arabia in there. These Gulf states will be protesting nations against um, any ill treatment against Israel. And how, how is that going to happen? Because they've been relatively against Israel, and now they get these uh, peace agreements, these 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 connections relations with these countries amazing so keep your eye on these things as we continue to go on but we're going to dig right into the bible this week um through the bible segment we are going verse by verse through the scripture um and we're doing it in a chronological manner and we are already up to chapter two of genesis we're about verse 15 here and within the next couple of weeks, we'll be going into the book of Job because the Bible is not necessarily written in chronological. That's what we're going to attempt to do here on this podcast to give you a, a broad overlook of the whole Bible, the word of God. So I'm actually going to read starting in chapter two from the King James Version here. Um, chapter two, verse four. This is backing up a little. We'll read up to where we're at and then we'll, we'll start having a conversation on what it says here. So chapter 2, verse 4 of Genesis in the King James says this. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and heavens. And again, that was uh, talking about the end of God's creation. This was the generations of the heavens and the earth. It's, it's, it's all done. Remember, he ceased from his work on the seventh day. Some translations might say rest. But uh, the, the, the better translation is that he ceased. He didn't need to rest. He was not tired. He ceased. He stopped from his creation process. 
Verse 5 here says, And every plant of the field, before it was on the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth, and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man, humankind, of the dust of the ground, in humility here, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, um, a, a spirit here. And a man became a living soul, it says. Verse 8 says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it was parted and it came into four heads, four rivers here. And we talked about this last week. If you want to know more information on um, what's happened so far, check out the previous podcast. It says in verse 10, And the river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it was parted and it came into four heads, four, four rivers here. The name of the first, verse 11, is Pison. That is which compasses the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There's Delium and the Onyx Stone. And the name of the second river here is the Gihon. The same as that encompasses the whole land of uh, uh, King James as Ethiopia here. In verse 14, it says, The name of the third river of Hedekel, that is which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And this is where we left off last week. From the Young Living Translation here, verse 15 says, and Jehovah God, Jehovah God, uh, Yahweh here, and Jehovah God taketh the man and causeth him to rest in the Garden of Eden, to serve it and to keep it. So Jehovah, um, we know that as Yahweh, and Jehovah God, we know it's Elohim. Elohim is the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit we see here. So what this is saying is when human beings were created, it was not to put their not to put their feet up and start sipping lemonade somewhere in paradise. Okay, that's not why they were created. Human beings actually, when they were created, actually had things to do. They were uh, to serve the land, and they were to keep the land in good shape. Here, that's what this is saying. There was a responsibility to be good stewards. Over this paradise. And that's the way it was created in a perfect state. They were to be good stewards over this paradise that God had given to them. And I believe also that heaven is going to be that way. People uh, picture many things about heaven. Many thoughts have been put in people's heads because of movies through the years or television shows or different things they've been told. Few things to correct. We will not just be floating on a cloud somewhere, just relaxing. Okay, that is not what the Bible says, and I'm, I'm kind of glad of that. Um, to me, it really sounds kind of boring, but I, I want to do something, right? And we were made to do something, and that's how that when we were in a perfect state, we did something. Another false thing is, uh, some people say, "Oh, you get your wings." We do not get wings. Okay, when someone dies, sometimes they say, "Oh, they have they cut their wings now." But we don't get wings and we don't start playing a harp, okay? 
we often hear that. We often hear when someone dies that, oh, they get their wings or, or, or my, and my angel is now in heaven. Okay, now an angel in heaven. The Bible speaks of no such thing. There are angels, but angels are angels and people are people. People never get to be angels. And angels never get to be human beings, okay? But like in this paradise, we need to realize in, in this perfect state that was created, we will have things to do in the kingdom of God. I really believe that. I believe the Bible speaks of that. Jesus, when he was on the cross between two thieves, told him this. And he told the one thief, uh, remember the one thief that said, hey, remember me when you come into your kingdom, Jesus. Would you remember me? What did Jesus say to him? Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise. Really kind of like, like the original was. We had an original paradise, a perfect state, an original creation was before the fall of mankind. And what happened there says they will serve it and keep it. There will be things for them to do. Uh, there were things for them to do in the original creation. I believe there will be things for us to do in heaven as well. Now, the work that man was given to do in the garden here, though, it wasn't labor. It wasn't labor in the sense of we're toiling, okay? It wasn't by the sweat of your brow, which will come after the fall of mankind. We'll see. Man just got to simply enjoy life and do things in an enjoyable way. They were simply out there and just taking care of the place that God had given them and enjoying it. For those that maybe are more on the env environmental side, environmentalists out there, here's good news right here. The Bible actually is very clear here. It wants us to take care of the land. That was the original state. That was Adam, Adam's job here, to take care of the land. Um, except the Bible here in this original state didn't have any political agenda or hoaxes out there or, or junk, um, different climate change and all this stuff that might be thrown out for other purposes, okay? No, the Bible just said simply being good stewards over what God has given us, taking care of, serving, and keeping it. God didn't say, uh, he didn't say, okay, go ahead. I made this for you, so just go trash this place. Do what you want, okay? Like a rock star, right? You're a rock star. You can do what you want. Trash the room, right? And God does not say that. He said, no, keep it and serve it here. You don't trash the place because you have dominion. And we do have dominion. We have rule over the animals. God gave us rule over this place, okay? That, that was the original state anyways. Until man gave it away to Satan, which we'll see as we continue on here. But rather, he said here, serve it and keep it in other words take care of it work not a toiling type of work but work and duty are a part of mankind in a perfect state we see this here okay so if it's a part of mankind in a perfect state i'm assuming that, that there'll be some kind of works something for us to do in the kingdom of heaven we're not just going to be floating on a cloud somewhere work is a necessary part of our life so look at verse 16 and 17 here, Darby translation here, DBY. It says here, and Jehovah Elohim commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou shalt freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. 
shall certainly die. So now mankind, they lived in paradise with things to eat and enjoy all around. They, they had a blessed society there, blessed uh, blessings all around uh, to enjoy and to eat of it, says here. And there was really only a few things asked of mankind in this original state, in this land. A few things God had given them so far. The first one was to serve the land. The second one was to keep the land. So serve and keep the land. Take care of it. And now we see another thing. It says, eat all you want. It's a buffet, right? Eat all you want. But not from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now God shows us here. He, he knows what's going to happen. Okay, He knows what's going to happen in the future. He doesn't say, if you eat of it, you'll certainly die. That's not what it says here. He says, in the day that you eat of it, you shall certainly die. Saying in the day indicates God already knows that there's going to be a day when they do eat of it. Okay, So God already knows that's going to happen here. God in his design decided to give us choices. And that is a part of his wonderful design. He did not choose to design and make us robots, okay? But he designed us to have uh, made in his image uh, a trinity, body, soul, and spirit with ability to make choices. He gave us choices to make. Robots cannot produce real emotions or love. But he designed human beings to do suck, uh, that very thing. He designed people that, that have the opportunity to make choices. People with choices can produce real emotion and love. Now, you shall certainly die here would be a foreign concept to them. So you shall certainly die. What is that? They don't, they don't know what death is. Death had not entered the world, right? Nothing had ever died before. No human, no animal, no plants. They didn't die. The environment was perfect during that time. But when they will disobey God here, what happens is that the process of death, the process of decay, fermentation, destruction will enter the land for the very first time. Now, there were really two deaths that took place here. The biggest one that takes place when they disobey here is a spiritual death. Man, from this point on, when they fall and disobey here, man from this point on will be born with a sin nature. All of us. No choice. We're born with that sin nature. All humans will be born spiritually dead. Now, we we're still physically alive, but we're born spiritually dead. The other death that takes place, obviously, is that man will physically die as well. So two deaths. Now, that would not take place if they had not disobeyed. Those, those deaths death would not even have entered the land if they didn't disobey here. God knew they would. And he put it there for everybody to be able to make choices. Now, remember when God made human beings, he said, let us make man in our image. Okay. So we are made like God in this in the sense that we are a trinity. Again, we are body, soul, and spirit. 
And man, human beings, is created to make choices, just like God can make choices. God has a will. We also can have a will. We have what's called free will. As much as we get upset when people do stupid things, right, we can understand that God has given us ultimate freedom, right? Um, he could have created us robots to do everything correctly. No, but he's given us the ability to choose to do stupid things if we want to choose to do stupid things. See, the power of choice is a huge thing. We can't totally choose everything that happens in our lives, of course, because there are external factors that determine things like uh, uh, other human beings making their choices can affect what happens in our lives. So we can't totally um, make everything that we want to happen, okay? But we are in charge of our final destiny. We can choose. Heaven with Jesus or the lake of fire? God leaves that choice up to us. If we want heaven with Jesus, then here's what we need to do. We must repent. Repent means to turn away from your old sin, turn away from what the Bible says is wrong by turning to Jesus. Okay? The only way we can accomplish the turning away is with his help. Return to Jesus. That's repentance. Turn away from sin by turning to Jesus. Okay? So we need to repent and turn to him as Savior. And then that free gift comes to us. The free gift is offered to all. Now, if we don't want that, he's created us to make a choice to not accept that. Okay? Now, the consequences are clear for not choosing God, but God leaves that up to us. So where the gospel is, the, the gospel, what's the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died for you so you could be forgiven, have a relationship with him, and spend eternity with him in heaven. Where the gospel has gone out all, all around the world and is accepted where people accept it in the world, but we often see that follows it is freedom to make choices. Okay? And believers would agree that you have the freedom to worship whatever you want. I'm as a believer, I think if you want to worship a tree, you should have the freedom to worship a tree. It's not smart, you will suffer the consequences for it, but you have the freedom to do so. Believers see it, believe that. But why do believers believe that? Because God gives choices. So if God gives you the choice to make stupid decisions or to follow him, we believe we should agree with that freedom as well. Now, wherever the gospel has been cut out around the world, we see the freedom of choice taken out of the society. See, where freedoms are taken away is probably because the gospel has been cut off in that place. And we are seeing that trend starting to happen in the United States. Um, this election is a big deal. Uh, freedom is at stake, no doubt. We have seen freedom of choices being taken away by government power, by governors, by political ideology that um, that goes against the scripture. It is only the gospel that goes into a nation that gives freedom to all, including the choice not to believe. So I would ask this, would you pray with me that Communism and socialism doesn't determine America's fate. 
but rather mankind's ability to make choices, to choose where we want to head. Now, I believe God had to put a tree in the garden. He had to put it there and say, not eat of it. I mean, what what point would freedom of choice be if there was no choice available to choose to disobey? So now that we have a choice, if we then choose God or obedience like he has chosen us, if we choose God like he has chosen us, that brings us a meaningful relationship because we have the opportunity to choose otherwise. So in all reality, what ends up happening is God chooses us, we choose him, we choose each other. So if you have ever heard people come against God saying, oh, he's not loving. Or saying, if God is really loving, why does he allow this tragedy to happen? He can't be a loving God. Any God that will send somebody to hell, that's not loving. Well, if somebody says that, that's just foolish. Because you don't understand what the Bible says. The Bible is very clear. God doesn't send anyone to the lake of fire. Some people call it hell. Okay, The lake of fire. He allows us to choose to make a choice where we want to be. You have free will. You want to be with Jesus? You can be. And he shows us how to be there. Or you can choose the lake of fire. It is our choice, not God's. God doesn't send anybody to hell. We make that choice. And he, what does God do? He honors our decision. Okay, he gives us that free will. Now we will see there is an adversary that wants you to choose the lake of fire. We're going to see this adversary as we continue. And he will attempt to influence our decisions. And there are enemies and there are people that try to influence our decision away from God. But here's the thing. Ultimately, no matter what influences come in our life, the choice is totally up to us to receive God and eternity with Jesus, forgiveness for our sins, true peace, or the lake of fire. It's totally up to us. If God will not force us, neither can an adversary. He can't force us as well or anybody else. This decision is ours to make. So the tree here is placed in the garden as a warning, as a warning. And should we choose disobedience, the consequences that will happen is death will come into the land. And we'll pick up in verse 18 in our next segment. Welcome back. We are in verse 18 of chapter 2 of Genesis here. From the English Standard Version, the SP, says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now we have seen over and over again that with the things God has created, that he has said it is good. But the first thing God says it is not good is that man should be alone. You see, God's intentions for us as mankind is not to be alone. Marriage is to take place for most. Some some that don't take that path, um, it's because God has not called them to marriage. um, And that's okay if God's called you to that. But most 
are not called to be alone. Because we are called, even if you're not called to marriage, most are, but even if you're not, they we're called to have social connection to others. And I would suggest that for most men, not being married, it's not a safe thing to even do. If you actually look at some of the most violent men in the history, many of them were actually single. And uh, we're going to see as we go through here, we will see we will see that God will institute marriage here. And, and what makes marriage between, uh, it's between man and a woman. That's going to be very clear. And they're going to complement each other. We need each other. It's, it's not a, for most people, it is not a safe thing to not end up getting married. Okay. So we're going to see them complement each other. And they were meant to mold together. A marriage, a marriage that is based on God and his principles, it's a great thing. It's a great marriage. As a man and woman, they'll complement each other. And really what a marriage is going to do is it paints a picture of what's going to be known as the church. We'll talk about the church as we go through the scripture. Um, but that's what the picture of marriage is. The man is given the position of authority. He's going to be given the position of authority, the leader in the home. So man, what does he have? He's going to have a responsibility and accountability. Now, the woman is going to be given the responsibility to help her husband in what's going on. Okay? It says here, to uh, God, may, uh, it's not good for man to be alone, but to have a helper that's fit. That will complement him. Okay? Verse 19, the Darby translation, DBY. says, and out of the ground, Jehovah, Elohim, Yahweh here, uh, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Jehovah Elohim had formed every animal of the field and all the birds of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever a man called each living soul, that was his name. So Adam got to name all the animals here. Adam had great intellect. You see, he had, he had not fallen yet at this state. So Adam was probably the smartest man that ever lived as far as intellect. He was uh, um, in, in a perfect state. Uh, verse 20 here in the King James through 22. It says, And Adam gave names to all cattle and the fowl, the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field, animals. And But for Adam, there was not found a help me for him. The Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his, King James says, ribs here. We'll talk about what that really means. But it says he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto man. So like in the King James here, sometimes they translate the word um, as taken from man as being rib here. Okay, but this is not how we understand rib here today. Okay, we got ribs on our body, right? Okay, the word in the original language isn't rib. If you look up the Hebrew language, uh, the word really is talking about it took from Adam's side here, from the side of Adam. There's something that God took out of Adam 
that goes into the making of Eve. And the word in the Hebrew language can actually be a little ambiguous here. So we don't know exactly what God took out of Adam, but it wasn't a rib. It was something, though, something from his side. It might be the emotional part. I don't, I don't, we don't know exactly what it is, but there's something that, uh, that God takes and which really distinguishes a man and woman as different. Was it a cell? Maybe it was a cell. I'm not sure here. We often say ribs because they didn't really have the word for it, okay? We, didn't, we don't know exactly what was taken, though, here. Again, and, and some people have problems with, with the Bible saying, oh, oh, the Bible says he took a rib from Adam and gave it to Eve, but men have the same amount of ribs as, as women, and so that doesn't make any sense. So some have a problem with it saying rib here. Like our first study we did through the scripture here, we always have to go to the original language, okay? The Bible is perfect and without error if we put ourselves in the time period in what it was written and in the original language, okay? And they might say men have the, 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 the same amount of ribs as women, but this is not speaking of ribs here, speaking of something from the side here, okay? But let's say it was a rib. It wasn't, but let's say it was. Even if God took a rib... That shouldn't be a problem either, okay? If it was a rib, I mean, uh, it, it's not that big a deal. Because say say someone ends up having a surgery done, right? And and, and um, I have to have an amputation. My arm's cut off or my leg's cut off, okay? Just because that was amputated, okay, I get, a, I get an arm taken off of me, doesn't mean if my wife and I have a child, that, that child is going to be born without an arm. Okay, there's DNA material to make sure they have it. So if you were had one less rib, doesn't mean your kid's not going to have a rib. Okay, so that that's those that have a problem with that doesn't really make sense. So the rib argument it doesn't make sense. But what this is literally saying is he's taking something from the side. It's a little ambiguous here, but something from the side from Adam to make Eve here. Verse 23 here through 25 says. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And it finishes off this chapter and says, and they were both naked. The man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Okay, so now we have a really big deal here. We have the relationship of man and woman. And what is it called? It's called marriage. You see, God designed marriage. He designed it. He has the patent for it, okay? He knows what it is. And what it isn't. Marriage is a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman. If someone is involved in something other than that, you have the free will to make decisions because the God gave us right that right. We have the free will to make those decisions. That even if they go against the Bible, you have free will, but you cannot call it marriage. Okay. That would, that would change the definition of marriage. 
since God is the author of the definition, he tells us what marriage is. You can't change the definition of what marriage is. You can practice whatever you want, even though it's not right. You can, but, but you can't call it marriage. You can call it what you want, uh, something else, but it's not marriage. God tells what marriage is. You have the free will to do something against and disobey, but it's not marriage. God has the right to determine what marriage is. He's the author of it. What God says marriage is throughout the scripture, a monogamous relationship between one man and one woman for life. The idea here is that man and woman come together and they become one flesh here. They become one here. Inseparable. Inseparable. It says here that man is to cleave to his wife. You see, that cleaving, that connection, marriage is, is designed to be an intimate bond. And the husband is to cleave to his helper, his wife. They are become one. Um, uh, it's, uh, the helper, the, the wife is to be uh, someone fit for him. Uh, uh, it's a, a good fit, a connection there. And the man is to cleave there. Now, mankind has often progressed thoughts on things that God has designed or instituted, including marriage. It does not make any of it right because our culture somehow has progressed. Okay? It does not matter what the culture says. If the culture says, no, this is what it is now, we progress as a society. Because our culture is a different society doesn't mean that things are right. Even if certain things get a popular vote in this country, doesn't mean it's right. In fact, often the majority is not on the side of God. We see that through the scripture. And a lot of us have seen that through the way uh, this country has voted in the past. And we end up, uh, well, the old saying is elections have consequences. And uh, sometimes a popular vote does not always get us what's right. So often the majority is not on the side of God. And when it isn't on God's side, then what, what's really happening is it shows us how far the people are from God in this nation. Now, when Jesus came, Jesus taught on marriage. And we'll get to it someday when we get there in the scripture, but we'll speak about it now as we're dealing with it. When Jesus came and taught on marriage, the Pharisees, these were the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees spoke up knowing that there was a difference between what Jesus was teaching about marriage and what they were teaching. Now, keep in mind, who is the designer of marriage? Jesus, right? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, Elohim is here. He's the designer here. So Jesus would have authority of this to speak. The Pharisees are saying, hey, what you're teaching is not what we're teaching here. They didn't believe him to be God, even though he is. And the Pharisees spoke of was called the law of Moses. And they said, hey, in the law of Moses, it says that you can get a divorce. And you, Jesus, you're speaking otherwise. So they ask him a question. Hey, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? And they were trying to trap him as usual. And this is what Jesus says. He says, if a man leaves his wife other than because of fornication that has taken place. For any other reason, if a man leaves his wife, he has caused her to commit adultery. 
Well, why is it adultery? Well, here's the thing. They are one. They are one. And if you leave that oneness and to go to another, you have caused her to enter an adulterous relationship as well. You see, the institution of marriage in the scripture is not was never designed to be separated. And after Jesus answered the Pharisees there, they're all thinking, oh, we got him now. We got him now. Why does Moses' law say you can write a bill of divorcement? We got him. Trying to discredit Jesus. And the answer was simple. It's because men had hardened their hearts and not followed after God's pattern for marriage. That is not God's design for marriage. The reason divorce started happening is because men had hardened their hearts. The law of divorce was established in the time of Moses, but that was never God's design for marriage. You see marriage in its perfect state right here. It's not God's design. It's design is that they should be one flesh in the original creation. But because sin entered the land, death entered the land, sin had saturated people's hearts. Because of that, Moses put in parameters for divorce. But Jesus, when speaking, would come back to the beginning. Because he was the designer, the definition of marriage. He would come back and say, hey, uh, when marriage was created, when man was in his perfect state, you see, marriage is supposed to be one. There's not supposed to be any separation. Marriage is one of the things that was instituted, by the way, before the fall of mankind. You could talk about many things that, were, that came to pass in the scriptures. But there were very few things before the fall of mankind that happened. But one of the things God had, had, had created was marriage. Before the fall ever happened, he created it in a perfect state. And the perfect state is one man, one woman, for life, monogamous. And it's not to be separated. But then what happens is we'll see sin is going to enter the world and people's hearts start getting hard toward that commitment that they're supposed to have. Divorce has never been God's design. When you see a country with a high divorce rate, you see the family, families breaking down, families broken up. And when you see that high divorce rate, families broken down. So goes a society away from God. When you see a society turn to gay marriage, the family breaks down. And so does a society from God. So along with marriage, the world today also gets the other definitions wrong. Okay, You can't define marriage. God already did. We also get the definition of love wrong. Some people get divorced saying, well, we, we just don't love each other anymore. We fell out of love. We don't love each other anymore. They say that as if you can actually fall in love or out of love. You can't. You can't fall in love or out of love. We have many people that fall in lust. Okay, that is not love. Many people fall in lust. Or fall in attractiveness to certain traits or, or somebody's abilities. But to love is always a choice. It's a choice to be made. A love To love is not something to fall in and out of. It's a choice to be made. Love is a verb. It's an action. 
You can either make a choice to love or a choice not to love. If love is based on conditions, then of course there will be times in life when you don't feel like it, right? If you only love somebody because of the certain conditions, there are going to be times when you don't feel like loving someone because they're going to let you down. You see, mankind in a falling, sinful state, they're always going to let you down. We let each other down you know, as sinners. You see, God, God is an example for us. God does not love mankind because of the decisions he makes. Okay? If it, if it was based on the decision we make, uh, if that's the way God decided he would love us, then God would fall out of love with us. But that's not the way love works. God does not love mankind because of the decision he makes. God loves us because that is his nature. God is love. That's who he is. Now, I can't totally explain how God loves us based on circumstances because that doesn't make any sense. If he loved us based on circumstances, we'd say, what's wrong with God? Because there's no reason why he should love us based on circumstances. Because we fail miserably as a human race. Based on our actions, God logically shouldn't love us. God logically should, based on circumstances, he logically should write us all a bill of divorcement and send us to the lake of fire. That is truth. But that is not God's design. Divorce is not God's design for us. God's love for us is unconditional. It's not based on a circumstance. God's love for us is loyal. It has nothing to do with our circumstances or the things we do. He loves us no matter what we do. He choose, Why? Because he chooses to love us, his creation. The same thing, we can make a choice to love or not to love. Now, of course, God is holy and just. And because he's holy and just, he will correct us and he will judge us where he needs to. And he will even send those to the lake of fire that do not accept Jesus Christ as Savior. Okay? But that doesn't change his love for us. His love is not based on what we do. His love is based on his loyalty and who he is. And when God does judge, it doesn't mean he doesn't love you or he corrects. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Just like us parents that correct our kids, they might not like it. But when you correct them, it's because you love them. His love, again, it's loyal. It doesn't change based on circumstance. But his justice, of course, is also holy and everyone will get what they deserve for punishment in an appropriate measure. So if you are a believer, know this, you get no punishment. Doesn't mean God didn't have any punishment. Wrath is due when, when, when sin takes place. The reason you get no punishment as a believer is because all the punishment that we are due was wiped away when it put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Jesus took all the punishment on the cross so that we could be free from the consequences of sin. And not just the consequences, but we can have the power over sin in our lives. And one of the problems today is the concept of getting to know someone physically without actually getting to know someone. There's a lot of physical connection that takes place between mankind 
without actually getting to know them. And there's a reason why the physicality comes inside of a marriage, why God designed, hey, you're not supposed to be physical with someone, that connection, that, 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 that sexual relations, it should not take place, but rather inside of a marriage. There's a reason for that. God understands that that is where it belongs. I mean, what should happen is you get to know people on an intellectual, emotional level. It's not the physical stuff. That comes within a marriage. You get to know people on an intellectual and emotional level. And, and the most important thing is figuring out, has God called this person to be my husband, to be my wife? Have they called him? If you don't know the answer to that, you should not be entering to a marriage. How many people enter into marriage based on falling in lust? And they'll say, oh, I fell in love with this person. When really it was falling in lust or you're falling into some kind of attraction or their abilities or whatever. Um, love is a choice. How many people, though, enter a marriage based on falling in lust? Or the physical aspect or certain attributes or abilities that you like about an individual. Marriage isn't supposed to be like that. Marriage is supposed to be a calling. We are not to seek out someone or uh, we see this often. We're not to get on some dating app and pick and like this person or uh, swipe right for this person. Swipe this way. Oh, I like that one. I don't like that one. As, we, as we're making decisions based on somebody's attributes. I'm interested in this person or I'm not interested in that person. Swipe, swipe, right? That's not how God designed things. Because what happens when man gets to make decisions on who they marry by seeking out a marriage partner? What happens is often people end up in divorce. If you're in a biblical marriage, you will not end up in divorce. Why do people end up in divorces? They go out and seek marriage on their own and, and make their own decisions, uh, fall in lust or fall in, they would say fall in love. It's not really. Love is a choice. But those that head down that path, why? Because you enter marriage on the wrong premise. And when you enter it actually correctly, what's going to happen is the pressure is off of you as a human. Because biblically, you realize marriage is a calling. And if God is calling me to this person to be my spouse, then I'm to trust in God. And, and guess guess what? When God calls people to a marriage, God gets it right. He knows exactly who should be your spouse. And who are we to go against God's calling, right? So if you're not sure God is calling you, calling someone for you to marry, then you should not marry. God's design for marriage never involves divorce. And those that get in on a wrong premise end up down that path. God's marriage is about love. But not falling in or out of love. But rather choosing to love. Just like God chose to love us. Not based on circumstances. But a godly loyalty. The Bible says this. It says, love is patient and love is kind. If you are not currently married and you want to be in love, you want to choose to love somebody someday, the right person, if you really want love, 
Love is patient. So be patient. If you want the biblical love-based relationship that is going to last, wait upon the Lord. If it is his will that you get married, he will bring the right person in your life when it is the right time. Don't let some guy or some girl get you into a physical relationship by saying, oh, I, I just love you. Don't let, if they really love you, they'll be patient. They'll do it a biblically way. If, they, if, they, if they're saying, I love you, so let, let's, let's have some physical relationship, they don't really love you. Not in a biblical way, not in a way that's going to last. That's some kind of emotional pull. If that person really loves you, then they will be patient and wait until God joins you together in a marriage ceremony for life. God's definition of marriage. And the last verse here of this chapter says, verse 25, And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and one not ashamed. And that's the way it should be. Here they were both naked and unashamed. That was how God designed it to be between husband and wife. Why? Because they're considered one flesh. Not be able to be separated for life. We thank you guys for joining our podcast this week. I know we focus heavily on the Bible this week, and that's what we're just going to flow in the Spirit. Wherever the Spirit leads, that's where we're going to go each week. And we finished chapter two, and we will talk about the fall of man next week in our Through the Bible segment. We'll see you guys next week.